This is episode 210 with three-time Mountain Runner of the Year, three-time U.S. Olympic Trials qualifier, author, and certified mental performance consultant, Ms. Addie Bracey. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features an extraordinary athlete who's capable on the track, roads, and mountains. Addie Bracey holds a master's degree in sport and performance psychology. She's a certified mental performance consultant and has recently authored the new book, Mental Training for Ultra Running, Your Psychological Skills Guidebook for Ultra Success. In this episode, we're discussing the idealization of the race experience, psychological triggers, if-then responses, the difference between stress and pressure, and more. Now, if you're new to the podcast, you can expect conversations just like this between me and other thought leaders in the running industry. My goal is to elevate your thinking about the sport, help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. You might also love Strength Running's YouTube channel with more than 300 videos and a new one published every week on how to run longer, strength workouts, how to structure your training and run with better form, and a lot more. Check us out at youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish but you'll find most of our best stuff at strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses on topics from strength to injury prevention, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. They help you analyze your body's data to give you a clear picture of what's going on inside you and then offer science-backed recommendations to improve. And for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store at insidetracker.com/strengthrunning. We're also supported by Path Projects. They make some of my favorite running gear, including shorts with a lot of pockets, even for your phone. They use innovative lightweight fabrics that are stretchy. They wick sweat and help you worry about your run instead of your gear. Check out all of their shorts, baseliners, shirts, and more at pathprojects.com. All right, our guest today is a running polymath. She excels on the road, on the track, and on the trails and mountains. She's a certified mental performance consultant, an author, and has consulted with elite athletes in swimming, softball, basketball, track, and ultra running. You might also recognize her because she demonstrated all of the strength movements in our flagship weightlifting program, High Performance Lifting. Today, she's on the podcast to help you become a more mentally fit athlete. We're discussing some of the most fascinating aspects of her new book, Mental Training for Ultra Running, including the problems with idealizing a race, psychological triggers that can suspend logic and force you to make bad decisions, if-then responses to help you visualize, and the huge differences between stress and pressure. By the way, if you want to learn more about these topics, you can sign up for our sports psychology email series at strengthrunning.com brain. All right, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ms. Addie Bracey. Welcome, Addie. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. 
Well, I'm excited to chat with you. It's been, what, a whole of two weeks since we last hung out at your book talk. And so I feel like I'm getting a lot of Addie Bracey these days, but it's always great to to learn from you. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Should be a good conversation. So I have your book here. It's titled Mental Training for Ultra Running, Your Psychological Skills Guidebook for Ultra Success. But is this book just for ultra runners or do you think the lessons here and all the exercises you've included in the book on mindset training, are these helpful for all runners? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, just to make it really applicable and then also to make a lot of the exercises and like tools that I put in there very direct. Um, you know, it's written in the context of some of the challenges more specific to ultra running, you know, like the duration of the events, the extreme, whether you encounter and that kind of thing. But I mean, almost a hundred percent of uh, you know, the, the different concepts and mental skills that are discussed are very much applicable to, to any kind of running. Right. When I picked it up, I, you know, just glanced through the table of contents right at first. And I thought every chapter was, you know, for a, a middle distance track athlete. But <laughs> once I started really getting into the book and, and hearing some of the stories and case studies, you do focus on ultra runners, but I just think it's so fantastic for any runner, especially any runner who might not have really spend some time working on their mental skills and on how they psychologically interact with the sport. So I think it's really fantastic. And, you know, there are several topics in the book that I want to talk more about today. We're obviously not going to get to everything, but you wrote that one of the mistakes that runners make in a race and why we tend to psychologically break down is because we idealize the race experience can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. I distinctly remember when I had this revelation, and this was back when I was running more on the track, um, and I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials in the 10K. And I remember my coach at the time, Ryan Van Hoy, who's like crushing it, Ole Miss right now as a coach, um, he told me, uh, you know, just be prepared for this to be the hardest thing you've ever done. And, and I like covered my ears almost like, oh gosh, like, why would you say that to me right now? You know, like I had been building it up as this really wonderful experience that I was going to have uh, and didn't really think about the pain or think about the challenge that it was going to be. And I think at a time in my life, I kind of thought the more you train, the fitter you get. And at some point you reach like hero status, you know, where it doesn't hurt anymore or it's not hard anymore. And it doesn't, that's not true. Like that's, that's something that doesn't happen. And I've been in the sport long enough to know that it never gets easier. And so, yeah, I see a lot of athletes getting super excited about a race that maybe has been in the making for a long time. Like maybe somebody hit a BQ that they've been trying to for a long time and is running Boston or, you know, whatever it may be. And there's a lot of excitement, which should be the case. And that's what makes racing fun. But uh, sometimes that comes at the expense of remembering that it's going to be really hard and there's going to be some parts that really suck and uh, that maybe don't match that like, daydreaming, um, really triumphant vision that you have in your head. So it doesn't mean not don't have that side. It just means mixing a healthy dose of remembering that it's still going to be difficult. There's still going to be parts that maybe aren't that fun in the moment, um, but that that's part of it. And I think kind of to like go on a tangent off of that, I think they're also, at least for me and some of the athletes I used to coach, used to be an assumption with that same idolization of the experience that pain was bad or that if it started to get hard, that then the race wasn't working out the way that they thought it would, which is, which is also not true. Um, so yeah, seeing the challenge part, seeing the, the, the difficulty, seeing the struggle as part of the process and still part of the process 
of having a great outcome and not some evidence that like now no longer is this the experience that I thought it was going to be. It's such a fascinating area to explore because, you know, when I look back on my running career, I don't think I ever idealized a race until I got to the longer distances, at least the half marathon, but definitely the marathon distance. And it was such a shock to me to run a marathon and have it feel the way that it did. Because I think the marathon, once you start getting into the marathon and longer events, they're just so different from a 5K on the track or a, even a 10K. And the the difficulty that comes with those long races is such a shock to the, your system, especially your mind, your brain. And I really struggled with that personally because you know, uh, you, you look at the average pace you have to run for a marathon to run a good time, at least for me. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem so bad. And then you get to mile 21 and you realize that, you know, the, the race really does start around that time. And it, it's just such a, a great illustration of how, you know, this idea can kind of creep up on you and you, you're, you're not always going to be the person that idealizes every race. But sometimes if you get into doing something that's a little bit different, maybe it's a longer race, maybe it's trail running, that it can really start to, to mess with your head. And, and that's huge for runners. Totally. Yeah. And you make a good point that uh, it's, I think there's also a piece that comes with those longer races, like you're describing in the sense that, I mean, if you wanted to, you could race a 5k every weekend or every other weekend, you know, not forever, but for a certain period of time. And a lot of times when you're doing a marathon, uh, or an ultra, especially, but even a marathon, you know, it could, you could have been training for six months for it. So I think there, yeah, that, that risk comes in more too, when there's been a lot of time put into preparing for one specific event versus maybe like a season. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, why do we idealize certain races? You know, what, what is the actual cause of that? Is it just a lack of preparing for the inevitable low points of a race? Is it putting all our eggs in one basket and training for one race over a long period of time? And, you know, we're solely focused on that one race. What's, what's sort of the mechanism that is causing us to put these races on a pedestal and expect a really positive, great flawless performance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that I would describe those as like risk factors, right. To, to maybe idealize, idealize in a race, you know, if you were putting, um, a lot of time into one or you weren't taking the time to think about the challenges and the negative part, I think we also have to remember that we're in a very measurable outcome based sport. And so I think a lot of times there's, and this is something, this is a piece that is, it's a very fine line of, of, wanting to have big goals, wanting to set your set markers for yourself. Um, number one, to shoot, shoot for, but number two, to kind of have feedback of where you are and where you want to go and how well you're doing at getting there. But there's a fine line to taking that too far to where that's uh, your, maybe your identity or worth or belief in yourself as a runner relies too much on that outcome. Um, and so I see that a lot too. I think a lot of times the, the maybe putting the race on the pedestal also can maybe fall into the territory of um, wanting some kind of objective proof of reaching a certain level. You know, athletes have all different kinds of markers of what that is, whether it's an Olympic trials qualifier, a BQ, or, you know, breaking 25 minutes in a 5k, like whatever it is. So it's, as with a lot of the concepts in the book, it's almost like um, it can be a superpower to think about those situations in some ways but it can be a negative in other ways. So really just building the self-awareness over, are you using, are you putting that race on a pedestal as something and as a, a guidepost 
to where you want to be to, to structure your training to, I mean, it's hard to know how to get where you want to go if you don't know where you're going. But yeah, are you putting the race on a pedestal so much to the point where like, if you were not to achieve the thing or that race didn't happen on that day, the way you thought it would, how is that going to impact you? Is that going to impact you in a way that you see it as feedback and you can like rewrite the plan and go for it again? Or is it going to totally deflate you and, you know, destroy your self self belief or self worth as a runner, which I've, I've experienced and seen happen a lot. You know, you, you shoot for this thing and then it doesn't happen and it can be hard for people to bounce back from. So it's kind of a gray area in some ways that you kind of have to live in. What have you found are some helpful ways that we can not idealize a certain race that we're training for so that, you know, we can prepare for those low points. We can, you know, if we have a bad race, which happens sometimes, we can come out of that maybe not so deflated. What are, what are some like actionable things we can do? Yeah. I mean, one of my, my personal, cause I, I've fallen into that territory before where bad races were so deflating to me. Um, my mantra kind of is hold it lightly. So meaning I, I still want to win races. I still have a lot of things I haven't done yet that I want to do. And that I think that I ha- that I have uh, the ability to do, but I'm okay if those things don't happen. You know, that doesn't change how I feel about myself as an athlete. It doesn't change how I want to train and prepare right now. Um, so it's, it's kind of uh, approaching it as a very nice to have and a very um, possible outcome to have, but you don't have to have it. And, and the beautiful thing that happens there is not only does it kind of free up uh, that negative situation that can happen from a poor race, but it lets you take more chances because that's the thing too, is if you put a race on a pedestal or you think that you need a certain outcome or a certain race result to feel a certain way about yourself as a runner, it actually can re- ha- like work in the reverse where you become less, and you might not know this, athletes usually aren't aware that this is what happen- is happening, but there's a lot of like self-sabotaging that happens or um, a lot of uh, not, not being willing to take risks because what happens if I do go all in and then I do fail at the thing? That would feel really terrible. So um, I don't know if that, it's kind of a vague answer, but for me, that also looks a lot like remembering that I'm a multidimensional person. I'm not just a runner. And so relying on those other things too, and remembering that um, there's a lot of things that drive my behaviors and my goals every day that have nothing to do with running. And so, yeah, setting, setting yourself up and writing out like literally a plan um, of what it would look like to get where you want to go. What's the kind of work it's going to take to get there? Are you, are you dedicated to that? Do you want to do it? Awesome. Like go for it. But remember that if it doesn't happen, that's okay. And, and for me, it's been a pretty like beautiful life-changing way of looking at it of like, I know I'm capable of this. I know I'm willing to put the work in. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for broke on that race day and see what happens. But if I don't hit the thing, that's okay. That's not, it doesn't change the, traje- the trajectory of my life like at all, really. So it's been really freeing. And it, yeah, I think allows people to have a healthier relationship with the results, but also be willing to take more risks, which you wouldn't think that that, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it's actually the way that it tends to work out. That really resonates with me because it just makes me think back to my college racing career where you know, you raced fairly frequently. And so if you let one bad race negatively impact your psychology and how you thought about yourself, you probably weren't going to be a very good college runner. And so it was a great exercise in holding it lightly, like you said, of having your goals that you wanted to go after. But because you're racing so frequently, if you don't have a good mile you know, 3k, 5k, whatever you're racing, well, you can just wait a week or two and you'll get another opportunity. And it's just that constant onslaught of racing almost was a good forcing function 
to teach runners that you just have to keep moving forward. And I just remember thinking, you know, if I had a bad race, well, I still get to do this next week. You know, I get to go train and run workouts with my friends and I get another opportunity to, to run some of those races. And it's just a, a nice way of reframing things to not put so much importance on that external result. Now, you also wrote a really interesting section about if-then responses to potential obstacles that might happen. Is this a scenario when planning out some of those if-then scenarios can be a really good idea? Absolutely, yeah. And and I like to really focus on and talk about um, how the brain works and why it does the things that it do- does the things that it does literally. Um, you know, our, our brains, I think I said this in the book talk are kind of like association machines. They, they make, they don't even necessarily, uh, there's a lot of research saying they don't even necessarily, we don't like respond to things so much as we use information from the past to almost predict what the behavior should be, which is a great skill to have, but, but also really problematic if you're, as you do in races often confronting situations that maybe you haven't been in very many times. Um, and a lot of times that leads to kind of like a, maybe a fight or flight or like anxious type response that isn't calculated and isn't productive and isn't leading to the goal. And so if then statements, literally what you're doing is rehearsing how you want to react in those, in those moments. And you're, you're imprinting that wanted behavior, like onto your brain of like this, Hey, it's okay. If this happens, this is the plan, not leaving it up to chance of like this thing that I never even thought about happened. And like, I have no idea what to do. So in an instant I have to decide. And it's usually again, not the right the right uh, response, or at least the response that you intended. So yeah, by thinking about it ahead of time, you've kind of, uh, it's making yourself aware, but it's also literally, like quite literally teaching your brain that new pattern or that desired pattern, like in that, in that circumstance. And another way to make that even more effective and kind of bring that to life is to use those um, if then scenarios as like imagery and to kind of see yourself responding in those, uh, in those different like challenging situations. So that literally your brain thinks it's almost been there before. And it's like, Oh, I got this. I know how to react in this situation. Yeah. I was going to ask you, this does sound a lot like visualization or imagery where you're walking through a potential scenario that might happen on race day and just really trying to immerse yourself in it with as many senses as possible. It also sounds like the least fun type of imagery that you might engage in because you're thinking about everything that can go wrong. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've talked to many athletes who were like, oh yeah, I use visual, visualization and imagery all the time. And I'm like, cool. Like walk me through one of those. And they're like, Oh yeah. So, you know, I go out, I'm crushing the race. I win, I break the tape and I'm like, that's, that's great. Awesome. Like that there's a time and place for that kind of daydreaming, but you know, you're kind of miss missing a whole opportunity of that mental skill. If you're not imagining the hard crappy stuff, which I know is not, it's not fun, but, um, I think a really wonderful story of that actually is Michael Phelps. Uh, it's not, not a runner, but, uh, he, used to kind of do that just while he was in practice, while he was training would like imagine different, um, just imagine the Olympics or imagine certain races. And he used to get bored with it. And I remember hearing someone tell a story about how he started imagining what he would do if certain things happened. Like, what would I do if my goggles fell off or if they filled with water, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then he would rehearse those things. And then that ended up happening in one of the Olympic games, his goggles filled up with water. He didn't freak out. He didn't panic. He'd, he'd seen himself in that situation. It wasn't a big deal. And I think he still ended up winning. So just kind of a good example of the the power that comes with maybe doing the unfun part of yeah imagery and visualization. Yeah, preparing yourselves for the times when things go wrong, I think is is likely 
some of the most productive preparation that you can do. Because after all, something goes wrong almost every race, whether it's something very minor, like you can't find a gel for a minute and then, oh, uh, it's in this pocket. And you have that little bit of anxiety that comes with that or something really serious. And so I, I think that kind of visualization is maybe more helpful than imagining how great your race will be and how you're a superhero and nothing nothing bad can happen to you. I want to switch gears a little bit, Addy, and talk about a section in your book that discusses stress versus pressure. And I thought this was really fascinating. I don't think I'd ever considered the differences between the two, but they are very different. How do you think about each of these experiences, stress and pressure? Yeah. And I think stress is a word that gets kind of a bad rap. And I mean, as a coach, you know, this like stress is, is a good thing. That's how we get stronger uh, in, in the right doses, like not very much simplifying training, but it's, you know, you add stress to the body, you let it recover and then, then it adapts and becomes stronger. And it's similar, similar mentally. And so kind of reframing how we think about stress, like I kind of see stress as uh, the mental, I mean, there's physical stress, but if we're talking about psychologically, yeah, the, the psychological demands of trying hard things, there's, there's times when uh, performance situations are stressful. Pressure to me, and pressure is inevitable at times, but pressure comes out more when what is, what is deemed a success is, is maybe like a smaller, there's like a smaller margin for what that is. There's like a certain um, outcome that needs to happen, whether it's qualifying, running a certain time, whatever it is. So pressure is not also, it's not necessarily inherently bad either. It's sometimes just a requirement if you're, you know, based on what you're trying to do or if you're running professionally or whatever it is, but, um, it can feel, I think more confining or it can feel, uh, more like claustrophobic to athletes maybe in some ways, or you can kind of see uh, a performance being derailed. If it's not, if you see that outcome that, that you thought you needed to achieve, like out of your grasp, but stress isn't bad. You know, stress is good in some ways, obviously not if it's in extreme doses, but um, not seeing uh, psychological demands of performance as, as a bad thing, I guess. Yeah, I think any race really has a, a lot of stress built into it just because of the very nature of the sport. How do we know if a situation that we're experiencing is is more of a stressful experience or is one that more has more pressure to it? Is there a bunch of defining characteristics that you might use or, or how do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it would be defining to yourself what a successful performance would be. And the biggest question is, where's the pressure coming from? Is the pressure real? You know, sometimes, uh, like I said, with I work with a lot of professional athletes where stress is or pressure is a very, very real thing. It's they need to perform. Their livelihood depends on it. Uh, they need to qualify. They need to hit, they need to hit a certain time. That's not necessarily something that can be avoided, but often a lot of the athletes I'm talking to who feel they would say pressure. I'm like, well, where's that coming from? And it's coming a lot of times from themselves. And it's pretty arbitrary. Uh, I had an athlete recently run a race and had basically just made up a time they needed to run that if they'd asked me if that was like what the time should have been, I would have said no, but they had just kind of made it up and had that time in their head. Uh, and went, went into the race feeling tons of pressure, tons of um, anxiety about whether that was going to happen. And it was unnecessary. You know, there, it was a totally arbitrary, uh, like, confining thought that they had had that I need to run this time for this race to be successful. And it wasn't an enjoyable experience. And they didn't perform the, the way they wanted to. And the pressure wasn't even necessarily founded. They kind of just created it for themselves. So, yeah, what, what would make an experience or a performance successful 
And then where is that coming from? Is that coming from you? Is that coming from something you want to accomplish? Like just kind of being aware of uh, where these different sources of quote unquote pressure could be coming from and kind of identifying that ahead of time and, and seeing if it's like productive to even be thinking about that. There we are with envisioning the future and all the negative things that might pop into our head <laughs> again. Now, is there a way to, to take a situation that does have a lot of pressure? Maybe you are running for a team or you don't want to let down your coach. And so there's some external pressure on you to perform. Is there a way to use that to your advantage? You know, because I think, like you said, stress is a good thing. If we weren't stressed at all before uh, an event, a race, then we probably wouldn't perform. Our arousal level would be very low. But is there a way to take maybe some of that excess pressure that we might be feeling and use it as fuel to propel ourselves to a, a good performance? Or, or is it sort of always a negative experience? Yeah, definitely not always negative. Like, I, I mean, like we were just saying, it's, it's, it's a by an a by, unavoidable byproduct for a lot of competitive situations. And I, I work with a lot of high school and college athletes. And that's a great, you kind of brought up a great example of sometimes, and I was a college athlete as well, you know, you're not necessarily in charge of what your goals are, right? Like you're thrown into the event, they think you're going to be the best at may not be necessarily what you want. Um, and then, you know, pressure to score points at certain meets pressure to qualify that kind of thing. Um, so there's always, I, I think there's times when it can feel like you don't have ownership over those things. And like you said, the, pre- the pressure is external, but there are always, always, always ways to tie in your own personal values and personal goals with those, those expectations and that, that like quote unquote pressure. Um, I mean, I always liked pressure in college because I felt like I liked being relied on, you know, I liked feeling like they thought I could do what they were asking me to do. So instead of seeing, seeing pressure as, an opportunity to fail, seeing pressure as, um, oh, wow, they, they think I can do this thing or my coach thinks I can do this thing or wherever it's coming from. So using that as uh, a powerful motivator or belief in your abilities or, um, you know, direction. I think that's a great one too, is if, if a performance expectation is like pretty defined for you, then you know what you're trying to do and that can be a benefit. Um, so yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's not always a negative thing. It's probably almost usually not a negative thing. Um, it's just about the perspective from the athlete. And again, seeing it as an opportunity or a challenge to rise to and knowing and kind of identifying what they need to accomplish to put themselves in the best position to achieve that, which is, again, it's, it's like, I would describe it as a, like studying for a test. You know, it's a lot easier when you know what, what you need to know. And if you know what the pressure is or what the expectation is or what the outcome that's desired from that external source is, then you can focus all you all you need to do is focus on uh, doing what you need to to put yourself in the best position to do that, which I think can be a great thing. So yeah, I think it's all about the perspective of the athlete and seeing it as a challenge and not as a threat. I love that you said we're going to rise to the occasion, and that just reminds me of that quote. You know, pressure is a privilege, and, and I think it is so true because those of us who do experience pressure it's kind of a gift. It means we have high expectations of ourselves. It means there are people around us who have high expectations of us. And so I think reframing the way that we think about that pressure can be really helpful. Um, Addie, you also write about triggers in your book and pressure to me seems like a big trigger that could cause us to get overly stressed out and toss logic out the window when we're in a race. But what are some of these common triggers for runners that happen to us, maybe during a race, but maybe also during a workout? 
Uh, they're so individual, as you could probably guess. But you, I mean, as a coach, you can probably have seen this happen so many times. You know, I have athletes who will say things like, I can't, I can't run well in the rain. Like, I just won't run well in the rain. Or uh, I had a high school athlete that I used, that I worked with on sports psych who just had it in her mind that she couldn't run well on one team's course because she didn't run well there her freshman year. It's like that course could be a trigger. The conditions could be a trigger. Um, someone, you know, maybe on your team who, who isn't usually better than you passes you in the middle of the race, that could be a trigger. So I look at triggers as anything that kind of derails your focus. Again, I, I to make a tangent, I sum up sports psychology in an, or at least in the running world in a nutshell as like distraction management and, and controlling distractions and focusing on the things that you need to focus on. And so triggers are anything that kind of takes that focus away from where it needs to be to somewhere else. So it's super individual. And that's why I preach so much about self-awareness and, and really knowing um, yourself and what your triggers would be or what would be, you know, something that could potentially threaten to pull your attention away. Um, so triggers are kind of inevitable. And again, it's something that it's almost like a, um, a dysfunctional or unproductive uh, th- like thought habit that we've gotten into of if this thing shows up in my environment, then it's going to lead me to think this way or it's going to lead me to, I don't know, my confidence to suffer or, or whatever it is. So that's kind of a vague answer, but triggers could really be anything for anybody. Yeah. And it really sounds like triggers are are those things that could impact not just your racing, but your training overall. It could impact how consistent you are over time. And so I, I think it would be really valuable for runners to understand what their personal triggers are. Like you said, they're so personal. They're probably different for every runner. I, you know, you were talking about how personal and they are and different things. It just, I don't know. I was thrown back to high school, remembering a certain competitor on another team and how he usually beat me, but it was usually close. And so psychologically, I was always kind of a wreck when I had to race this kid. And here I am pushing 38 years old, still thinking about this weird high school running trigger that I have. (laughs) So how can we kind of reflect back on our racing or our training and kind of identify some of these triggers? Because it, it almost seems like they're ineffective thought patterns that, you know, we need to have these thought patterns out loud in front of like a coach or some mentor so that they can kind of just snap us out of it and and kind of explain to us that we don't have to think like this. But how do we get there? Yeah, I mean, you're right. When you think about triggers, a lot of people think about, uh, like, they feel helpless in the situation, right? Like, if this thing's there, this is what's going to happen, and you're totally helpless in it, which isn't is not is not the case. And so a, a lot of it is just kind of re- rewiring your brain um, and, and teaching yourself a new productive thought pattern to replace that one with. It's uh, a lot of the ways I describe the work I do, I describe it as like PT for the brain kind of, you know, you have, even if it's not working for you, I'm, I've had this in the past, like we can develop motor patterns or um, form inconsistencies that aren't productive, but it's like our body somehow has still like decided that's like the best, you know, and it's usually because of a weakness somewhere, right? Like, so maybe, maybe the weakness is in your glute and that's showing up as some kind of, I don't know, pronation that's causing IT band syndrome. And so it's really kind of identifying where, where's the source of this. So the trigger might be, you know, kind of the smoke or the injury or the behavior might be the injury, but why is that happening? You know, why did you have this, uh, why was this other athlete such a trigger for you? You know, really kind of identifying the core belief that makes that thing a trigger, like no, no, 
thing in this world is just, well, some things are, but it's going to say inherently threatening to us. Um, but in, in, at least in the context of what we're talking about, it's not like uh, any of these things inherently have a negative meaning or a negative impact over our performance. We've allowed it to have that meaning. And why? What's the fear? What's the belief associated with that? And when you can get to the core of that and understand like, well, I don't, I didn't want this guy to beat me because, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to talk to you more about that, but to, to understand like, did that somehow make you think that you weren't as good as you thought you were? Does that somehow like, was it someone at a rival high school and you wanted to, you know, you wanted to be the best runner in the area. And if that person beats you, then you're not like, where is it coming from? And then you can build that piece up. So if that's confidence, then that's confidence or self-belief. If it's, um, you know, like I don't run well in the rain, then maybe you ha- there's an issue with self-talk and distraction control when conditions are unfavorable or uncomfortable and it's harder to maintain those things. And then instead of just trying not to respond neg- negatively to the trigger, you're just implementing a new, a new productive behavior. So it's instead of trying to stop something, you're deciding to start something and implement something productive and new, kind of replacing the old with the new, if that makes sense. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me of diet advice, you know, like, let's not take everything fun out of your diet, let's instead add in helpful, healthy things. And, and that's such a, a great way to think about it. And yeah, it, that just really makes me think hard about why I was sort of intimidated by this other runner. And I think this is such a great little mini case study of runner psychology here. And, and I think it was because this particular person always seemed to be very tough mentally in races. He, he just raced tough. He closed hard. And I wanted to be that kind of runner. And so if I lost to him, it reinforced the fact that I wasn't mentally tough. And, and that was just a knock to who I wanted to be as a runner, like who I thought I was as a runner. And so, yeah, maybe it, it took me 20 years, but I finally figured that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm still figuring mine out too. I think it's, it's, it's not like there's just a trick and all of a sudden none of these like, I don't know, psychological challenges happen anymore. They still, it's ongoing. It's always ongoing. So as much as I preach this, wrote a book about it, I still struggle with my own thing every day too. I love how you described sports psychology for runners as essentially PT for the brain. And, and I think that is, that is just great because I think, you know, if you take a healthy runner and you brought them to a PT, no injuries, the PT would probably be able to isolate weaknesses or imbalances or areas where they could be stronger. And and I think that is a helpful way to think about sports psychology, because I think it's one of those areas where a lot of runners, they think they're doing okay. You know, I'm setting good goals and I seem to be improving at a decent rate. And the mental issues that we might be having are, are almost very hidden. You know, if you have an injury, you know, on day one that you can't run, you're experiencing pain. But if you're engaging in some of these ineffective thought patterns, you might not even know it. And so I I think learning more about this topic, even if you don't really think that you have any kind of, you know, mental obstacles or or issues that that you're dealing with can still be a real game changer for a lot of runners. And so uh, I I think just broadly speaking, I think sports psychology is, is really the next frontier in runners achieving more and more for themselves, because what's going on between our ears is, <laughs> is obviously complicated, but I think it's, it's going to unlock a lot of performance gains for us runners. I, yeah, I hope so. And I totally agree with you. It's, it's funny. And, and the, the thing I see a lot with my work too, is 
yeah, you don't necessarily see these unproductive thought patterns. You don't, it's not as visible, right? Like if you have an injury, like you said, you know, you have an injury. Um, but then as soon as it's quote unquote broken, then people want, will come, you know, or, or like this being an Olympic year, I had a, I had a mad rush of athletes, you know, right before the Olympic trials and that kind of thing. But the thing with sports psychology that's so amazing is it does, nothing has to be broken to make that part of your routine. I see it also as like, you know, if, if it's PT, when something's wrong, it's strength training, you know, when nothing's wrong, you can still get stronger in certain areas. You can still think ahead to the demands of the challenges that you're going to face and get stronger in those areas. There's no, there's no like cap to the potential of how, you know, how good your self-talk can be or how, um, like sound your confidence can be. So yeah, looking at it in those two ways of nothing needs to be broken to make that part of your training routine. I love that. You just said that, you know, you basically, there's no cap to improving your mindset. And there's very few things in running that don't have a cap. You know, your VO2 max is probably capped by your genetics and your absolute strength is capped by your body type and your genes. But if you can work on your mindset, I think your options for improvement are nearly unlimited because there's always something to work on and you can always get better and better. What a great infomercial for sports psychology. (laughs) (laughs) And and my favorite piece is nor does anybody have any kind of like a, I don't know, biological advantage over someone else. Like I think we talked about this maybe before at the book talk, like obviously maybe certain dispositions come more naturally to some, but you're right. Like my VO2 is like pretty capped at what it's going to be. And I'm never going to be a Paula Radcliffe, but um, you know, in terms of like psychological strength potential, we all have the same amount available to us, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. And I think the longer races that you might end up training for, that mental strength becomes more and more important because you can't really fake your way psychologically through a hundred miler. You probably can in a 5k. So you better be working on this stuff if you're, I think, a marathoner or definitely an ultra marathoner. Yeah, I definitely agree. Addie, I think we probably covered about 4% of your book, (laughs) but every page is just jam packed with actionable mental skills exercises and new ways of thinking about our mindset. So I hope our listeners pick up a copy. But in the meantime, is there anything that you'd like to add about what we've talked about today that that you might think will help our listeners that I didn't get to? I mean, honestly, just advocating for the work that we do. Um, I so I'm I don't have my doctor degree. So I'm not a psychologist, but I'm what's called a certified mental performance consultant. So uh, have a, you have to have a master's degree. You have to be certified by the uh, Association for Applied Sports Psychology. So on that website, um, there's a, a li- like basically a list of practicing uh, CMPCs, which is what I am in every state. So like seek seek it out. You know, any runner doesn't matter what your ability level is, what uh, what your goals are, like whether they're you know super elite or not. Because my favorite favorite thing about my work is. Not only is this stuff transfer, transferable from ultra running to 5Ks, 10Ks, marathons, but it's just transferable to life. So a lot of a lot of the work we do is like going to make you maybe better in relationships, better in jobs, better in a lot of things. And so um, it doesn't hurt to, to have a consult and see if that's something that would be useful to have someone helping you through this. So I've encouraged a lot of people to, to look in their area and see who's available and, and reach out for the resource, just like you would a PT or, or a strength coach or a nutritionist. Um, it's in my opinion, the biggest impact you can make on your performance is with sports psychology. I'm definitely biased, but it also took me 20 years in the sport to realize it. You know, a lot of us are so quick to 
to buy the Norma Tech boots or to, and those are things that are important and to take all the supplements and to get in the blood work and all those things. I'm not saying don't do those things, but in terms of percentages, like I think this can make the biggest benefit or sorry, the biggest impact um, on performance. And so, yeah, it's not, doesn't hurt to try and reach out and there's plenty of really, really good practitioners that can help. Yeah. And since there's no cap and it bleeds into the rest of your life to help you with your work, your family, your relationships, it's a really attractive thing to work on. I I think every runner would stand to benefit from it. So Addy, this was really great. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. And I hope, I hope this was helpful. And yeah, it was a great chat. Looking forward to seeing you again sometime soon. That's it, runners. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Addy. And if so, pick up her new book, Mental Training for Ultra Running. I have it right here next to me, and it's applicable to anybody who wants to ramp up their mental skills. You can also review this podcast on Apple and learn more about training your mind and building your mental fitness at strengthrunning.com brain. I also want to thank our sponsors who are helping make this show possible. Inside Tracker wants to help you do what you love for life. They want you to be a successful, healthy runner for decades. They were founded back in 2009 by aging, genetics, and biometric scientists to help you analyze your body's data and get a firm idea of how well you're responding to training. Understanding your body's biomarkers, from stress hormones to testosterone to vitamin D, can all help you figure out if you're overtraining or optimally training or even undertraining. But the best part is that afterwards, they give you personalized, optimal ranges for each of these biomarkers and a whole host of ways to improve them through diet, lifestyle, or exercise changes. I've personally gotten two ultimate tests from them, and I'm about to get my third. I'm so excited. Now, for a limited time, you can get 25% off any test at insidetracker.com strengthrunning. Now, this is a big deal because these tests are admittedly somewhat expensive. That's because they show you so much about your body. So stack the odds in your favor and give yourself every advantage with a personalized blood test. Go to insidetracker.com strengthrunning to save 25% today. We're also supported by Path Projects. I love a lot of things about Path, from my amazing shirt that has mountains on it, what can I say, I'm from Colorado, to the fact that they separate their shorts and baseliners into two distinct products. That means there's no chafing, and with different lengths and fabrics of both, you can customize the type of short you like based on your personal preferences and the type of run you're about to start. They use proprietary fabric that's incredibly durable, it's stretchy, and it's moisture wicking. So if you ever see me around Denver on the weekend, you'll probably see me in my Path Projects Sykes 5-inch shorts. I call them my adventure shorts. Check out all their shorts, baseliners, shirts, and headwear at pathprojects.com. And right now, I'm wearing a t-shirt that has an elevation map on it. How cool is that? I just love how different it is from my other gear. And you can see all of their stuff at pathprojects.com. Okay, that's our show this week. I so appreciate you listening, reviewing the show, and contacting me with any feedback that you might have. I do this for you, and your support means everything. We'll be in touch soon. 